Welcome to the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. We hope you're encouraged by today's message and encounter God's heart through it. To find out more about us, visit lifechurchstpeters.com. Uh, this morning's message is going to be a little bit different. The title today's message is Run, Forest, Run. Anybody ever heard of Forest? Yeah. That's a young Forest in full go, full blow. He is rolling. Um, in 2020, as I mentioned last week, our, we have a theme for this year, and it's kind of twofold, but one, it's all about people. Jesus came for people. He didn't come to set up a, a new synagogue, a new ministry type, a, a new temple. Jesus came for people. It's people, 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 people. And you and I are blessed as a result of it. And this morning, my heart is that once again and once more, that we'd be stepping into that I, Tom, I would be stepping into who I want to be. Step into who I want to be. The scripture that I read last week is a kind of a thematic scripture for the years out of 2 Peter 3, verse 11. And it goes on, it's talking about judgment at the beginning of, of Peter, and I, I won't try and unfold what I did last week. But the nuts and bolts of it is, what kind, is the Apostle Peter, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people ought I to be? And he finishes and concludes this little sentence. He said, you ought, I ought, Tom ought to live holy and godly lives. What type of people, what type of person should I be? And that's what we're going to be looking at for this year, because it's all about people. And everyone in here that's breathing, you are a people. Amen? We qualify. Bald, hairy, we qualify. Man, woman, child, we be people. So this morning's message is entitled, Run, Forest, Run. There's a verse out of 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, that I love. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to a messy church. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? All the runners run in a race. But only one gets the prize. Only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And I understand not everybody is competitive. If you're competitive, raise your hand really first. Not fast, raise your hand really first. Because if we're going to run a race, run to win, baby. Amen. I was afflicted with such an upbringing. My dad played sports. He was, he was a professional baseball player at, at a certain level. And it was my, my dad had a saying, if, if you're going to keep score, win. If you're not going to keep score, don't bother. And my dad would quote Vince Lombardi, and he'd say, show me, show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Very unhealthy. Very unhealthy. I'm not espousing that. It's not doctrine. It was just the way I was raised. And, and fortunately, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Word of God, deconstructs the unhealthy bits in our lives, doesn't he? And I don't have to raise my hand first anymore or fast. I became a Christian. My wife said she became a Christian in 1978. I was first. I became a Christian in 1977. It's not about... It has nothing to do with that. I was just, I was leading. I was running, running, fast, faster. <clears throat> Became a Christian in 1977. And 
I won't go into my story, but uh, just total pagan upbringing. I was just telling somebody over on this side over here this morning that uh, I, I total, I, I retired from church at 12. I was opposed to church, opposed to God. Um, it's an early age, but I was committed to having fun, and I didn't view church and God and the Bible as fun, and so I was really, really good at sin. And when I became a Christian, I had so much baggage, so much junk that had been already thrown into the boot of my, my car, that's English, the trunk of my car. I was carrying so much baggage, I, I couldn't go anywhere too fast. And the man who discipled me, who helped me my first year, he helped me understand this, this one principle, Tom, you're going to die. Very positive message. Tom, you're going to die. And there's going to be a day when you stand before the Almighty God. He said, there's only a couple things you want to hear. Only one, really. Well done, good and faithful servant. Many of us know that verse. And baby, that's all I want to hear. Well, I want to hear my wife say she loves me and likes me no matter what I am. That's on earth. And in heaven, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I, even at 18, I just, I just had this, this, this understanding of running through my mind that life is short. Live it well. Life is short. Live it well. And he, this gentleman who discipled me, just had me on a, a track of, I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to give an account. It was a little, little dark, but it helped me in my, in my early years, and still to this day, still obviously rolls and resonates through my soul. There's going to be a day when I stand before him and I give an account for how I live my life. And it's wonderful. Because the Bible promises reward. When Jesus comes back, he brings his reward with him. That's the Bible. He brings his reward with him. And so I'm going to live in such a way. And I don't know about you. Um, I'm not big on weddings unless it's your wedding. If it's your wedding, I'm really big on it. <laughs> and I, occasionally I get invited to do weddings and, and referee them. It sounds like an altercation already. Um, but I really don't like funerals, so please don't die. Let me go first, not anytime soon, anybody? But I really, I really don't like funerals. And I have a couple friends of mine as pastors, they like going to them because everybody's attention is the brevity of life and they understand the reality of, of living rightly. And I have a couple pastor friends of mine, just they love funerals, but I, I really don't like them. And maybe you can relate this, and I, and I know you don't think like this because you're a, such a far better person than me. So much better. But I've gone to funerals in the past, and I'm sitting there listening to the stories being told about Bob. And I'm like, did he know Bob? <laughs> well, they're, they're talking about Aunt, Aunt Lucille. And, you know, she's amazing. She was this. And I'm like, did she know Aunt Lucille? Aunt Lucille was a rascal. <laughs> and you're, you're hearing all the wonderful stories, and, and, I, and it's just funny. And I... Honestly, when I, when I pass, I, I do think occasionally, what's going to be said about me at my eulogy? But I'm more interested in what my family says about me because they knew the real me. If I'm married, what my spouse, does she feel free now? Aww. No, I know, I know, it's a horrible thought. Randy, stop it. Don't think that anymore. How dare you? That's wrong. Happy thoughts. But my kids, what legacy am I passing along to my children, my grandchildren, my great-great-great-grandchildren? What legacy from my life 
will be passed along to them because there's always memories of Uncle Bob and Aunt Lucille and all those things. And so when I'm gone, what will be said about me? What will be thought about me? And I, I trust that people won't be having to omit large parts of my life because that's not very, that's not very positive. Anybody ever sat in a funeral and thought, hey, yeah, you're all nice people. You're nothing like me at all on that. There was one man in John 21, John, Jesus' best friend, closest friend out of all his disciples. The closing verse in John 21 says that all the books in the world could not contain all the things that Jesus did. All the books in the world couldn't contain it. We have, we have the beauty of so many amazing, beautiful, stunning, life-changing, eternal things that Jesus did. But Jesus lived his life in such a way, all the books couldn't contain it, is what John said. He was there. He saw it. When I was growing up, I had the, uh, the beautiful thing of, of only um, having one sister. No, no, that doesn't sound right. I had, I had one sister... And she struggled in life. She, she just had a, a tough upbringing, won't go into that. But my sister was just one of those people who, see, you know, just seemed to, life was not, I'll just say this, life was not fair to my sister out of the get-go. There's so many things that happened to my sister, totally unfair. But she just seemed to, to struggle in life. He was in early age. And I would watch my sister backtalk my dad. Bad choice. Don't do that. And the, the consequence came quickly to my sister as she struggled in school with grades and attitudes and actions. And again, so much of it was just in reaction to the horrific things that were brought into her, her life and her world. But I learned so much in watching my sister. I don't want the consequence, so I'm not going to do that. And as I read the Bible, that's one of the beautiful things about the Bible is I, I read the Word of God. I, I have the opportunity to observe things in people's lives, the beautiful things, the tragic things, and learn how I want to live my life, and what happens when people make great choices and challenging choices. This morning, I want to look at one person's life. It's a powerful story. It's a long story. I, I wish we had the time to read all the scriptures to provide the full context, but, but we don't this morning. So I'm just going to read some snippets, and I, I trust that you'll be able to track with me. The message title this morning is, Run, Forest, Run. And his forest was, in the early part of it, he ran from trouble. And he ran towards life. And I just want to encourage us, as we read through this powerful story this morning, that we understand, Lord, help me, Tom, to observe through others failures and successes. Help me to learn how to live life. How to run from trouble. Run from poor choices. Run from them. But, Father, to run towards life to run towards health, run towards great decisions and blessing, to run towards life-giving and life-sustaining habits, run from those things that will cause and bring ruin and destruction into my life. Again, it's a, not a pleasant story, but just as a little bit of a backdrop, many years ago, I, I was meeting with a gentleman, and he, do we have kids? Or kids are gone, right? Kids are gone? Well, if the kids are here, that'll perk them up. What's he saying? <laughs> many, many, many years ago, I, I was meeting with a gentleman, and he, just, he was in anguish and tears, and he had made some really poor choices in his life, but he was telling me that he had woken up recently. He'd woken up in another woman's bed, aside from his spouse. 
And it just, his life was ruined. His life was over. And he just, and I remember he just said this one thing. I don't know how in the world it could have happened. And as gently and kindly as I, I could, I helped him understand that you just don't wake up in someone else's bed. There's been years, at least months, years of decisions that brought you to waking up in the wrong place in life. I don't know anybody who just wakes up in the wrong bed. It's a series of small choices in our life that bring us to success and bring us towards disaster. And this morning, just really quickly, I want to look into the story of Judges. It's a powerful book in the Older Testament. We're going to start in Judges chapter 13. And many of us will know something about this man, whether it be through a Christian TV show or movie or something. It was a man, man called Samson. He was a powerful man, amazing man. He was a judge for Israel. I'm going to read several different passages, and if you can just track with me. And again, I'm not going to be able to read all the different facets that provide the proper backdrop to how in the world he got to where he was in life, but I'm going to attempt to put enough on the canvas to paint a picture that we can all understand. We're going to begin in Judges 13, verse 2 through 5. Judges 13, Older Testament, verses 2 through 5. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you, you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean and you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. Here's the promise. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Amazing promise. Verse 5, he, Samson, this man, this soon-to-be baby, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, a Nazarite, they had a Nazarite vow. It was basically three things, just very quick. What was a Nazarite? What was a Nazarite vow? One, that they don't drink wine or anything fermented, alcohol. They don't drink any wine or anything fermented. Two, they don't touch anything unclean. Dead animals, uh, people who are sick. There's this Old Testament was filled with things you couldn't, but basically... Don't touch anything that was dead. Don't touch anything that was unclean. And the third was, don't let any razor touch your head. Clearly, I'm not a Nazarite. <laughs> the laugh was a little too hard, thank you. <laughs> Judges 13, verses 24 and 25. Just a little bit further. Judges 13, 24, 25. The angel brought a promise, and guess what had happened? The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. Everybody say blessed. blessed. The Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanae, Dan, between Zorah and at, between O'Fallon and St. Peter's. <laughs> Judges 14. Carrying on just a little further in the story. Judges 14, 
verse 5 through 17. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother. As they approached the vineyards, everybody say vineyards. vineyards. Everybody approached the vineyards. What, are they, what comes out of vineyards? Yes. Approached the vineyards of Timnah. Suddenly, a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have done, as he might have torn a young goat. I know Greg Maurer did that last week. His goat, gone. Let's see a, a lion, big boy. But Samson, he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. I wonder why. Why aren't you going to tell mommy and daddy? Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. And he scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had touched the honey from the lion's carcass. Why would he not tell mommy and daddy about that? It's unclean. He's a Nazarite from birth. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Nobody else in the land, it's not like this is God's rules for everybody, this man had a special call on his life. And he understood it. Why didn't he tell mommy and daddy? Because mommy and daddy knew the promise over his life. There's nothing wrong with Samson killing a lion. We all do that. There's nothing wrong with eating honey. You all should do that. But what he'd done is he'd broken his vow. He had disobeyed God. He had sinned in his life. And so what did he do with that fact? He hid it. He covered it up. Because that's what human tendency is to hide sin. Cover up sin. Hide in the dark. Don't tell anybody, especially not the people who care or would care. I wonder how I'm doing with those things in my life that I've done wrong. I've done wrong. Can I just say, God delights in light. The devil delights in covering things up that no one would know. We carry on. Now, his father went down to see the woman. And there Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. When the pe- we need this custom. I like this custom. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer. Within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Fair enough. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. And he replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. (laughs) Tough crowd. (laughs) Wow. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him sobbing. Remember this. Remember this point. Then Samson's wife threw herself on Samson sobbing. You hate me. 
you don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle and you haven't told me the answer. Remember this. I haven't even explained it to my father and mother, Samson replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. Happy. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, remember this. Because she continued to press him and she in turn explained the riddle to her people. See, Samson had done bad and now he's flirting with it. Now he's playing with it. He touched something dead. He had broken his Nazarite vow. It's not so much that he just did that. Now he's playing with it. Now he's making riddles out of it. He's using it to his advantage even. See, he's playing and flirting with what was covered. He didn't just leave it and walk away. Now he's engaging with it, ongoing. What was hidden, what was covered, what was sin. He's joking about it. Conversations. Toying with it. It's not so bad. Judges 16, verse 1 through 6. Judges 16, 1 through 6. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And Samson went in to spend the night with her. That doesn't sound positive. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. Because Samson is amazing. He, he does amazing feats of strength. He's a legend. We've skipped over lots as far as the text. But Samson is a legend, especially to the Philistines. Amazing exploits because God was all over his life. The only problem is he's making really poor choices. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. And so they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. And they made no move during the night saying, at dawn we'll kill him. Sure you will. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gates and together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. And he lifted them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill facing Hebron. Verse 4. Verse 4. Verse 4. Spend a night with a prostitute. Verse 4. Decisions, choices, decisions. Verse 4. Sometime later, he, Samson, fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her, to Delilah, and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we can tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. See, we passed right over there. I did for years. See, the Valley of Sork where he went for Delilah, it was known for the choicest wine in all the land. It wasn't a, a granite place of digging granite. It wasn't known for baseball. St. Louis, home of the Cardinals. See, the Valley of Sork is where the finest wine and all the land. And Samson went where the finest wine was and took something sweet into his life. Drinking in love that didn't belong to him. Drinking in the sweetness of the vineyard and a woman called Delilah. Breaking a, a life vow. We pick it up in verse 15 through 19. And 
Samson is playing all night because she had received money, Delilah received money. Find out what his secret is. It wasn't, he didn't look like Hercules. He didn't look like Greg Maurer. Oh, of course he's strong. Look at him. See, I think Samson looked very much like, like me. <laughs> With a notable exception in that he had hair. See, if you, if you, just a big guy, everybody's like, well, he's a big guy. No, they want to know what's the secret of his power? How, he's so stinking strong. What, what's his, it can't be this. You'd be surprised. <laughs> it can't be this. Tell us a secret. It has to be something other than muscles. And they didn't know what it was. So they paid Delilah to find out what it was. And all night long, she pried him with questions. Is it this? Is it this? And he was toying again with her, playing with sin, playing with riddles. And maybe it's this. It's maybe it's that. All night long. We're going to pick it up in verse 15, same chapter. Then she told him, how can you say, I love you? Do you remember the previous story? How can you say, I love you, when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Naz Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, just like he'd done with the earlier woman, toying and playing. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines came, returned with his silver in their hands for Delilah. And after putting him to sleep on her lap, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so they began to subdue him and his strength left him. In verse 21, same chapter. Then the Philistines seized Samson, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with brown, bronze shackle, shackles, chains. And they set him to grinding grain in the prison. See, Samson, over a lifetime, had learned to flirt with sin. God didn't leave me when I touched something unclean. God didn't leave me when I got a woman from the vineyard, all this wine place. God didn't leave me. I'm not dead. I'm not gone. I, here I am. I'm, I'm still doing what I'm doing. But Samson had learned how to flirt with sin, how to come up to the edge. God's not, I'm not dead. Nothing happened. I didn't get caught. Didn't tell mommy and daddy. No consequence. And Samson learned to push it and push it and push it. Until one day, one day, he didn't know the day. He didn't know that this was the day. See, he's used to making up riddles. He's used to being around women that he shouldn't be around, be around situations that he shouldn't be around until he's so comfortable with sin that he actually puts his head in the lap of sin. He puts his lap, head right in the lap of sin. Because if I don't deal with sin in my life, I get so accustomed to it, it becomes easy. I didn't die. I haven't been caught. It's not so bad. I remember this 
gentleman years ago, how did I get here? How did I wake up in this other woman's bed? Lots of small decisions, lots of unruled small thoughts. My decisions lead to actions. Can I just encourage me? Can I encourage us? Can I encourage you? Don't play with fire. Don't play with bad choices. There's so many times in my life, I'm sure in your life, you know you're doing something. You're just, it's not, you know, you didn't kill anybody, but you're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at. Thoughts are running through my mind that thoughts shouldn't be there. They're not, I don't want to play it up. If I have a thought that is, would I be happy for it to be played up there? No. <laughs> Have I learned to become familiar with sin and play with it? It's always a series of poor choices that bring me into the lap of sin. I won't go into it, but Samson started so beautifully and he finished really, really well. He, he had lost his vision, but in his death, he killed more Philistines than his life, the scripture says. He started well and he finished well, but in the middle, he lost his vision because he accommodated sin. He allowed those poor choices to become his normal. Because God had called him to be great. In verse 5, he said he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. But Samson had dulled his life with flirting with sin, hardened in the things he shouldn't go near, laying his head in the very lap of sin. So for me, for us, I think, what, what is that dead thing, that lion, that Delilah's lap, that don't touch alcohol, this is a Nazarite vow, mind you, not us. Nazarite vow. But if you're like me, we all have things we need to resist, things that we're maybe vulnerable to, things that are easy to step into. What's easy for me to resist is a problem for you, and what's so easy for you is such a struggle for me. What is it? So I just want to take just a second. We're going to close in just a minute. So it's like, well, just a couple of minutes, just a few minutes. Another 30 minutes. You caught me. Sooner than that. But I just want to stop just... And allow Holy Spirit just to do what he does. Because he doesn't come to condemn. Holy Spirit doesn't ever condemn. But he does come to convict. He says, Tom, son, amazing son of the Most High. Son, step back and away. This is death to you. Down there, death. Sin is pleasurable for a moment, but it ends in death. So just take just a second and say, Holy Spirit, is there anything, anything offensive to you, anything that's going to cause me more than I'm willing to pay? Is there anything that I, I need to step back from and leave and go tell a mom and a dad about, not leaving it hidden any longer? Is there something? It could be alcohol, it could be pornography, it could be anger, it could be quarreling, it could be selfishness, gambling, an affair, lust, laziness, gossip. Well, it's just gossip. Church has been, more churches have been split over gossip than any other thing. Just loose lips. Well, I haven't slept with anybody. Gossip, I'd love to tell stories, just little stories. Don't play next to the fire. Don't get comfortable. As a lifestyle, what are my habit patterns? I want to change my daily routines. I want to learn to run from sin, run away from sin, and run towards life. 
There's an amazing pastor down south. His name is Craig Groeschel. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I listened to a podcast last night. It was a powerful, powerful message. And he made this one, one statement. It's one of his life statements. And he says, successful people do consistently what other people only do occasionally. Let me say that again, maybe twice. Successful people do consistently what other people only do occasionally. So powerful, if I can catch that. What if I learn from the failures and successes of others and the Bible in my life so that I don't end up in disaster? What if I learned just through observation? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 again, it says, do not you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run, Tom, run in such a way as to receive the prize. Don't play with fire. I don't want to wake up in the lap of sin. I don't want to wake up in a horrible situation. How in the world did I ever get here? A series of choices. And just as powerfully, a series of great choices put me in a place to run a race. My race. A series of great choices. So am I addicted? John Hooker brought a beautiful, powerful word earlier about walking out of the prison cell, whether it's unforgiveness or alcohol or lying or cheating or stealing or laziness, gluttony, gossip, whatever it is. I want to walk out, Lord. I want to start making great choices and push right through those barriers because Jesus holds the keys of life. I can get out through the power and only the power of Jesus, and he allows me to make great choices. Just really quick, three take-homes. First one, if I'm that person and I know, I, just, I have these areas, I, I, I've, just, I've become familiar with things in my life that are so destructive. I've become familiar with them. I, I maybe even enjoy them, or I hate it, but I still, I'm, a, I'm hooked. First thing, get help with those tendencies and habits that sabotage my success. Get help with those tendencies and habits that sabotage my success. The Bible says this, confess your, salt, your faults and your salts. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. Samson says, I'm not going to tell mommy and daddy. They're going to hold me responsible. They know. That's the thing. Lord, I'm going to bring with a, a wonderful, amazing, powerful woman, if I'm a woman, an amazing, powerful man, if I'm a man. I'm going to confess my sins to somebody so it's brought into the light. It says the power, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So break the bread trail. If I got bread trail of poor decision, poor decision, I keep running back to that sin. Break the power of it. Tell somebody. Start new habits today. And can I say this? Get a teammate alongside you. One of the most, to me, one of the most glaring things is Samson was always alone. Nobody next to him. Nobody. And nobody knew his weakness but him and all the spiritual world. You need a buddy. You need a teammate. Preferably somebody who has success in the area that you're struggling with. Can you hear that? Bless me and you. We have a men's group on Saturday morning. We have amazing, powerful, godly women in this room. But sometimes, as I said last week, our tendencies, our habits are so strong. There's so much junk in my trunk that's contributing to the pain and failure in my life. Seek professional help. Come see me. 
Like I said last week, if you need dental help, I don't have the skill set for dental help, but I know dentists. Seek professional help. Come talk to me. Second thing, second thing. First, get help with your tendencies. Second is Craig Rochelle's statement. Successful people do consistently what other people only do occasionally. I need to form new healthy habits. Again, buddy up. Choose blessing of cooperating what our Father says about me. Maybe you need a life coach. Maybe you need to, once again, get back into those successful habits, beginning pray in the Spirit every day. Just pray in the Spirit every day. Go to a men's group. Samson, again, he was alone, he was isolated. Surround yourself with blessed people, honest people, honest people. We all have faults. I know I do. My wife will tell you about them. It's a life well lived. I need to not just get rid, not just run from my unhealthy patterns. I need to run towards life. What does that look like? Actions flow from who I am. Actions flow from who I am. It starts with who I want to be. Do we have any pictures of people? We do not. We did have some pictures, some old people finishing the race. They were like 40 years old. It's a joke. Finish well. Finish well. Last thing. Is there anybody else that I know around side of me that I can help them run the race well? Is there anybody I can help? Is there anybody I can come alongside? Because it's, honestly, it's not about me. Can I come alongside somebody and help them run their race well? Can we all stand, please? If you're able. If not, we're good. Holy Spirit, I, th- I thank you that you've given us the word of God. I thank you that you've given us the Bible that allows me to see you for who you really are and see things from your vantage point. Not to embarrass people like Samson, not to embarrass people like Peter, not to embarrass people like King David. But Lord, that I might learn that I don't repeat foolishness, that I don't end up with destruction. I thank you for the Bible. Lord, I want to read it. I want to open it up. I'm not going to make some grandiose promise. I'm going to read 10 chapters. No, Lord, this week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I want to open up your Bible and read it for five minutes. Maybe start with a proverb, whatever matches the day of the month. If it's the 19th, I'm going to read Proverbs 19 today. Lord, help me, help me, help me. I want to run from sin and run towards you. Run from bad habits, addictive tendencies. I want to run from them, but run into your arms of grace. Run towards life. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you don't condemn me. You don't kick me out of the game. You don't take the jersey as a son off of me. But help me, Lord. I, I, I don't want to end up in the lap of sin because I got comfortable with it or familiar with it. I want to run as you've called me to run. A child, a son of the Most High, a daughter of the King. Holy Spirit, help us that we would live and be the people we ought to be, to live holy and godly lives, as it says in 2 Peter 3. Help me, Lord. I thank you that you're here to enable, to empower, and there's all kinds of people around me willing to help. Lord, I want to reach out that my hidden things become brought into light. The devil can't accuse me from the other side of the jail any longer because it's in the light with somebody. 
I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Holy Spirit, I yield to you. I yield to you. Have your way in me that I would run as in a way to win. Thank you for these beautiful people here. I thank you, Lord. We're all flawed. We all fall far short of the glory of God. All of us. But Lord, you've called us to great things, just like you called Samson. If there's anybody here and you don't know God, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's been reading my Bible. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, would he just stop talking? Wherever you are, you know you need God. Just pray with me. Father, help. Father in heaven, God in heaven, help. I need help. Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Forgive me. I need help. Please show me how to live my life so that I don't end up ruining it further like I did when I was 18. Help me, Jesus. I choose to trust you. I choose to give you the reins of my life, give you control, give you the steering wheel of my life. Jesus, I choose to give that to you from this day forward. Now please help me, Lord, to do what I ought to do. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, see somebody today. We have a, a prayer team here. Thanks for checking out the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. For more podcasts and additional information, visit us at lifechurchstpeters.com.